listening to First Church Charlotte. Let's get the word of the Lord together. We are going to read one passage in Luke chapter number 6. Why don't you stand and turn with me to Luke chapter number 6. And we will read at verse number 46. How many of you love the word of the Lord? I love the word of the Lord. I love to teach it. I love to preach it. I love to read it and study it and apply it. Verse 46, chapter number 6 of the Gospel of Luke. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it for it was founded upon the rock but he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great so uh, for a teaching theme today I'm going to talk about being God-centered how many of you want to live God-centered lives now, it's not going to happen naturally. You're going to have to choose it. Somebody say, I'm going to have to choose it. You're going to have to fight for it. And this is going to happen every day. But if you do it, the reward for it is tremendous, powerful, and life-changing. If you don't do it, you will find God-centeredness as a way of living is always slipping through your hands. You start, but you don't hold to it because it must be the act of our will. And so if you're going to help me teach for a little while, somebody say amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. So I want to, I want to uh, tell all of you that if you, some of you know this, I, I am a retired general contractor. I've built a few buildings, a uh, not not as many as others, some other contractors, but I've built a few. I know a little bit about construction. And I understand, as do most of you, that the strength of the building comes from its foundation. Now, why, why do I say that? Well, if you'll notice building materials, they're always, they're, they're built in a certain way. Uh, when you build a building, it's made up of pieces that are framed together and so you take two-by-fours or you take uh, two-and-five-eighths metal studs and you create a unit that is held together with nails or screws. And what's interesting about this piece of this assembly, this construction assembly, let's say if I framed a wall right here, the, the, the first thing that would be interesting about it is it is strong in two dimensions, not three. It's strong in two dimensions. Uh, you could build a house all at once in three dimensions, uh, but it's very difficult and unwieldy because uh, it's huge. So what you do is you make it out of pieces. You put this assembly together with this assembly. You put this framed wall together with that framed wall. And each assembly by itself is strong in two dimensions. So say I have a wall right here. 
Uh, it's strong in this dimension with weight pushing down on it. And it's strong in this dimension with weight pushing against its frame. But it is very weak in a twisting strength that does not have three-dimensional strength. It only has two-dimensional strength. Almost every piece of a building that is used by itself is strong in two dimensions, but not in three. That same wall, which can carry so many hundred pounds per linear foot, a child could bump it and it would just fall right over and it would be useless because it's not strong in three dimensions. It's strong in two dimensions. For it to become strong in three dimensions, it has to be connected to other things. Now, there's a great example here uh, that I am not going to get into on how a church makes an individual stronger. You see, we are fitly joined together. That is a construction illustration that the Apostle Paul gives us in the book, uh, First Letter to the Corinthian Church. We are fitly joined together. A A church is much stronger joined together than any single member is individually. But because we're joined together, we might be strong in one or even two dimensions, but we are lacking the strength that comes from another connection. That is why we fulfill our love for God with love extended horizontally one to another. It makes no sense, and this is not my uh, teaching alone. This is pretty much the whole of uh, John's uh, epistles where he says that uh, you can't say that you, you love God and then hate your brother. In fact, if you, if you hate your brother or dislike your brother, it's really hard for anyone to be convinced that you love God. You see, we are all of us like pieces of a building and we are strong in certain ways and tremendously weak in other ways. But when you take a piece of a building, an assembly or a single Uh, a stud of wood or a a beam, a structural beam, and you bind it together with others, it now becomes three-dimensionally strong. But it's even more complicated than that. What gives it its strength as a unit? And that comes from its ability to be tied to a foundation. You see, the foundation is what is the strongest part of the building because it is literally that part which is unmovable, which will survive any flood, which will survive any storm. If the storm gets difficult enough, everything can be blown away, but you will never walk up on a foundation and say, oh, that storm just blew this foundation right down the road. It's not how it works. The strength of the structure comes from the foundation. And so again and again in the scripture, we are told that Christ is our rock. Somebody say my rock. Christ is our rock. And we, we see that scripturally and we see the many ways in which this example is true, uh, not just in New Testament gospels, but in Old Testament prophecy. And so let me very quickly remind you of a few things here uh, that are biblically shown to be relative to Christ being our rock, God our foundation. First of all, in the scripture, you'll read that the rock is a firm foundation. It is unchanging. 
unchanging. It is faithful. It will always be there. And so the second thing you see in the scripture is that it is a refuge. The rock is a refuge from a storm. Now, some of the people who are, shall we say, landlubbers like most of us, uh, they think in terms of building and foundation. There are other people, perhaps, who are merchants. And in this time, merchants very much were uh, reliant upon trade that would happen in uh, the galleys that crisscrossed the Mediterranean Sea. And if you are that kind of a person, you think of a rock as a refuge. If you're going through a storm and all the sea under your ship is being tossed and, and it's frothing and it's blowing in the wind and it is, your whole life is topsy-turvy, you want to find a rock that is a refuge. No matter how much the storm is blowing the seas, when you get to the rock, you are steadfast, you are secure. Thirdly, you will see the rock talked about as a refreshment because it was the rock that followed them in the wilderness and that rock was Christ. And, and out of that rock flowed the life-giving water that when you're parched and thirsty in the wilderness, the rock is with you and out of that rock comes life. So it is with God in our life. Can I have a big amen? So it is with God in our life. And lastly, in the scripture, you see the rock referred to as rest, particularly rest in a sun-blasted desert. You see, in a desert, you need a moment of respite from the sun. In the desert, there's not much shade in the desert. You might find a cactus here or there, but it's certainly no tree that you're going to go have a picnic under, not in the kind of deserts they're talking about. They're talking about deserts where the best place to find shade is in the shade of a rock. And so in this scorched earth desert. They find a rock that is a rest for them. And they get the rock between them and the blasting sun. And there in the shade, they are able to find rest and respite from the killing sun. Over and over this idea of Christ being our rock. Here, here's the interesting thing. Christians and unbelievers are... Uh, uh, we are foundationally different, but in our lives, we suffer many of the same human weaknesses. Let me say that again. The difference in a believer and an unbeliever isn't the structure, it's the foundation. We all of us try to build a life. We all of us try to make sense of our life. We all of us want to have a good job. Can I have some agreement? Just give me a good Baptist nod if you're not in the mood to say amen, you know. All of us want a good life, yes. And we're all trying to make sense of this thing. And we're all trying to get it right. And we're all trying to sort it out. And we all are building. We all want good families. And we all want, we all want healthy children. And uh, we don't want to suffer with crazy people. And, you know, and, and we want our lives to work out good. And we want good health. And we're trying to build a life. And it's hard. Life is difficult. Life is unpredictable. Storms come through troubles arise just about the time you think this you have disorganized you spend six years of your life getting educated in field number a and you get done with it and a few years later you realize there's not much opportunity in field number a and so now you're having to think about a career change and you wanted to figure that out in your 20s not your 40s 
But here you are figuring that out in your 40s. And then there were things you knew were going to be for sure. And come to find out, life surprised you. Your plans did not work out the way you thought they would. You were attacked when you did not think you were even at risk. You suffer loss when you did not even realize there was an enemy. The difference in the believer and the non-believer is not necessarily the structure. It's the foundation. And when the storm comes, you have to be connected. Hear me today. You have to be connected to something stronger than you are. Because the storm will wash everything away unless you're connected to something stronger than what you are. That's the difference right there. That is fundamentally the difference. Now, Jesus, uh, we read the passage where Jesus says that uh, if you hear my words and do them, uh, you will be like someone who built on a foundation. And if you don't uh, do the words that I have uh, given you, you'll be like somebody that's on uh, uh, kind of built without a foundation and the storm will wash everything away. In other words, you aren't connected to anything stronger than what you are. Now, when we modern people read these parables, we think of it in terms of sinners and saints because that's how we in the Christian era, the modern Christian institutionalized era, we think of church going people and people who don't go to church. You think of the righteous in the sense that they are going to church and the sinner in the sense that they, they don't go to church. Well, the truth is a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, we are all of us, we are all of us in need of God's mercy, not just church people, not just non-church people. Uh, and we see these passages here and we think in terms of church people and non-church people. But I want to remind you, the crowd Jesus is talking to, they all think they're church people. Amen. That's important because we make this mistake over and over. I'll give you another example that's easier to understand. You know the passage where Jesus says, straight is the way and narrow is the gate and few there be that find it. This is how we think of that. Over here are the non-church people. So this side of the church, y'all are going to be good for nothing sinners. I've suspected it about you for some while, but now we agree this is going to be the reality. And over here, y'all going to be church people. Y'all are so righteous. You get your church hat on. You get your fancy go to meet and clothes on. You come on out and you know when to clap. You know when to shout. Nothing makes you nervous. You're church people. And we imagine over here is the demons and over here is the angels. Over here is the bad people. Over here is the good people. Non-church, church. church. We're so righteous over here. You see what side of the church I'm standing on. Okay? And then we imagine Jesus speaks to this crowd of unbelievers and believers. And he says, straight is the way and narrow is the gate and few there be that find it. That is not who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to very religious, observant Jews. They have built their life on faith in the Mosaic Covenant. They have built their life on the promises and teachings of the covenant that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the patriarchs, none of them think of themselves as unbelievers believers. They are a very religious crowd. And Jesus says to a very religious crowd, straight is the way and narrow is the gate and few there be that find it. Jesus never lets you sit back and assume all is well. He's always challenging you to get your heart right. Figure out why you're doing this. You see, church as an institution is not God's plan. I'm thankful for what the church has, but institutional church is not what God's 
plan was. He wants to walk with you. He wants to know you. He wants you to live a God-centered life. Are you hearing me? I said he wants you to get up in the morning and say it's all about you today, Lord Jesus. He wants you to sit down on your lunch break and say I'm not just like every other person in this world. I'm God's child. I'm a covenant child. I'm not my own. I'm living God-centered. The great risk of any pathway of faith is that once it becomes an institution, it is more of a label than a way of living. And that's the great challenge for all of us. It's not just us. It was true in Jesus' day. That's why he can say to people who think they are religious, straight is the way and narrow is the gate and few there be that find it. And so Jesus, remember, is being followed by people who are interested in who he is. They think of him as a great rabbi. People who aren't religious don't go to hear a great rabbi. Uh, This is a largely religious crowd. Uh, He is talking to. And he says, if you do what I'm saying, then you'll be like somebody that has foundations. But if you won't do what I'm saying, then it's going to be like you're just washed away with the storm. This is the challenge for each one of us to live God-centered. So let me say this. doesn't matter how long you've been serving God. You still have to choose every day to live today God-centered. I'm glad your great-grandpa was in church and your grandma was in church and your mom was in church and I'm glad you're in church. God bless you. But you have to choose tomorrow when you go to work to live God-centered. This is why Jesus can say to people who think they're very religious, it's a straight way and it's a narrow gate and few find it. It is much easier for us to take on Christianity as a social reassurance system and not seek after the, the relationship of God in our lives, but rather we take a religious tone and a religious culture and we say, that's enough. So I want to challenge everybody here today. First of all, I love you. I want the best for you. And I'm pleading with you right now. You have to care about your prayer time. If you don't care about it, no one else is going to care about it. You have to care about your prayer time. I know you work hard. I love you. I see how hard you struggle to come to the house of God. I see the effort you make when some of you deal with health problems and some of you are going through career struggles and here you're at the house of God on the Lord's day and you're striving to get it right. You're striving to know God here. I want to strive with you and I want to plead with you and say Christianity is not just a reassurance system whereby we sure reassure the people in our life. We are the good people. No, we live for an audience of one. Your brother can think you're right and your God not think you're right. Your church can think you're right and your God could not necessarily think you're right. So I plead with you. You've got to protect your prayer time. You've got to protect your devotion time. You have to fight for your faith. Is anybody hearing me here today? You have to fight for your faith. It doesn't matter if I believe. It doesn't matter if your friend believes that you have to choose faith. You have to fight for that faith. You have to say, I will be a person of faith. I'm going to be strong on the inside. I promise you pain will come into your life. You have to choose to be God-centered. You have to look at your spouse and say there's two ways we can respond to this. Number one is we just respond like everybody else. Number two, we acknowledge we're connected to something stronger than we are. Do you see? 
The difference in the believer and the non-believer is not the structure, it's the foundation. I'm not very strong. Life can beat me up before lunch. Life can kill me before mid-morning break. I'm not very tough, but I'm connected to the great one, the mighty one. Oh, hallelujah, somebody. I'm connected to the one who is great and greatly to be praised. I'm not very powerful, but I'm connected to the rock of my salvation. I'm here to tell you, my life is not that much different than just anybody's, but I'm connected to the great lion of the tribe of Judah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Full disclosure. Full disclosure. I know people in my life who aren't believers, but they're great dads. They are. They're great dads. Sometimes they convict me because I get so busy and I see the time they take. And I think, man, they're a great dad. You see, they're not that much different from me. They're people. They don't even have faith. We're not different because of our structure. I'm just trying to live. I'm trying to get it right. I'm flawed. But the people who do what Jesus says, the difference is not in them. The difference is in what they're connected to. I want to I show you this in the scripture. And I'm going to read from the book of Deuteronomy. And I'm going to read chapter number 32. Mm, I feel the spirit here today. I feel the spirit here today. Some of you need to hear what I'm saying to you. Uh, I'm going to read from the Living Bible. Living Bible's modern vernacular. It really helps to get meaning and how we use words. And uh, so this is chapter 32, verse 28. I love this. Israel is a stupid nation. That blesses my soul. That blesses my soul. Because I've been a stupid nation a few times in my life. So anyway, a quick joke. Uh, We're not really supposed to call names. I mean, the Bible teaches us not to call names because it's judgmental and dismissive to call people names. And uh, I am sometimes guilty of it, so y'all pray for me that I'll make heaven my home, my family be saved. Uh, But we're really not supposed to call each other names. In fact, the Bible warns us against saying, thou fool. I mean, it's it's so dismissive and disruptive. But uh, the Bible can call you whatever the Bible wants to call you, and you know it's the truth. So anyway... This guy called the church, got the church secretary, and said, I want to talk to the head honcho. The secretary said, well, sir, at this first church of the most righteous believers, we do not refer to the pastor as the head honcho. We have more respect than that. He said, well, I need to refer, then let me talk to the big dog. (laughs) She said, sir, you did not hear me. At this church of the most righteous, we do not refer to the pastor as the big dog. He said, well, that's too bad. I just came into a large settlement. I wanted to write a check to the church for $100,000. She said, hold on a moment. I think I hear some barking from down the hall. (laughs) 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 Who let the dogs out? (laughs) 
Yeah, so let's continue on, you spiritual people. So here we are, Deuteronomy 32, 28. Israel's a stupid nation, foolish without understanding. Oh, that they were wise. Oh, that they could understand. Oh, that they would know what they're getting into. Now, I'm getting ready to read a scripture that most of us misquoting, including myself, have misquoted this many times. Here it is. Oh, that they were wise. How could a single enemy, enemy, excuse me, not Emily, (laughs) a single enemy chase a thousand of them and two enemy put 10,000 of them to flight? How does that happen? Now, you're probably like me. We've been misquoting that for, for years, you know. Uh, we talk about, my God, when God's on your side. <clears throat> One believer can put a thousand enemies to flight and two can put 10,000 to flight. That's not what the Bible says. Nowhere does the Bible say that. In fact, if you read all the places this is used, Joshua 23, Isaiah 30, and Leviticus 26, nowhere does it say that in the other direction. It always says it about the enemy putting us to flight. As though one of the enemy, if we are not doing the right thing and we're not living in faith, one of the enemy put one of us to flight, two of the enemy put put a thousand, and two of the enemy puts 10,000 to flight. You guys understand. It's my second message of the day, so my math side has gone to vacation. Um, so, So you get the idea. How can this happen? The writer's saying, how? You guys are a stupid nation, he says. Forgive me, I'm speaking rhetorically. How can you not have a clue? How can you not see this? How else can one of the enemy put a thousand of you guys to flight and two of the enemy put 10,000 of you to flight? How could this happen? Unless their rock has abandoned them. What an astonishing thing to say. So let me read Deuteronomy earlier in the same chapter, uh, talking about uh, uh, Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat. Thou art grown thick. Thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God, which made him, and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. Or in the Living Bible, but Israel was soon overfed. Yes, fat and bloated. Then in plenty they forsook their God. They shrugged away the rock of their salvation. That's in verse 15. And uh, uh, 10 verses later, it's saying the rock forsook them. What happened first? First, they forsook the rock of their salvation. And later on, they live with the consequences of that. This is what I want you to hear today. This is what I want you to see. I am not any stronger in my flesh than an unbeliever is. I'm not any better at being a dad than my friends who don't even go to church are. I may not even be better at being a husband. I do my best and my best sometimes is not enough to keep me from being told off by my wife. (laughs) What's the difference? I am like a structure that's built upon the rock. And when the trouble comes, I am attached to something stronger than me. I do my best, but I am not my best. God is my best. I fight as hard as I can, but that's not very hard, but I'm attached to the one who is the great victorious captain of the Lord's host. I am attached. 
this is what I want to challenge all of you to do here today. We cannot use religion as an institutional blanket that covers us. The problem with God's people, they start with patriarchs, but they end with institution. They start with relationship and they end with formula. Hear me today. They start with knowing, pursuing, looking for a city, and pretty soon they end, they end with murdering Jesus so nothing will have to change. What started as relationship and pursuit and prayer and devotion and seeking after God when it's done has become an institution whereby people go there to be seen good of others, not to have their heart humbled in the presence of God, not to have their spirit spirit humbled at an altar before God. And if they're going to get it right, they're going to have to get back to living attached to the rock. Religion is not the rock. God is the rock. It's not religion that makes you strong. It's God that makes you strong. Oh, come on, somebody. It's not going through a form of godliness that makes you strong. It's calling upon the name of the Lord that makes you strong. We have a rock. And that rock is Christ Jesus. In the Old Testament, they thought of the rock as simply God. We're beyond that. We have been given Jesus Christ. And so in, Mark, in, in John chapter number 4, Christ is the smitten rock. And out of that smitten rock flows forth living water. Christ is the foundation and chief cornerstone of the church in Matthew 16, also Ephesians 2. In his first coming, Christ was a stumbling stone, and we see that prophetically in Psalms 118. In his second coming, which is to be, he will become the headstone, as Zechariah tells us in his chapter number four. To the world governments, Christ is a stone cut out, hewn out without hands, Daniel chapter number two. To unbelievers, Christ is a crushing stone of judgment, Matthew 21. And so the house of Israel, they have covenant, but they don't have this right relationship. When they turn away from the rock, of their salvation and are destroyed by the enemies that surround them. They're still people of covenant, but they're not people who are built upon the rock. Do you see? They still have the promises of their patriarchal fathers, but they're being destroyed on every hand by the enemy. This is how Jesus can say to a group of observant Jews who would put to death anyone who tried to take them away from their rock of salvation and who many of them would die before they turned their back on their rock of salvation that they know institutionally through their fathers and their forefathers and they have turned into a ritual way of life and Christ says to them look straight is the way and narrow is the gate and few there be that find it it's not enough to have a label in our life it's not enough to have a religious connotation in our life I am challenge you today to choose as the act of your will to live a God-centered life starting now
You don't have to know everything to live a God-centered life. You don't have to be powerful to live a God-centered life. You don't have to have gifts of some notable type to live a God-centered life. You just have to decide in the quiet of your own heart, I can't do this without you, Lord. And then you have to choose to filter everything in your life through this truth. What would God have me to do? Once you start doing that, a label will never comfort you. You'll always need an altar. Being a part of a holy conclave of most righteous individuals will not comfort you. You'll have to find an altar. And you'll have to say, oh God. I've got to be attached to you. Or when the wind comes, nothing's going to hold me together. When the flood comes, nothing is going to hold me together. So, I want to tell you a story. I, I, I actually got her permission. Uh, many of you know uh, uh, Shay, who has been coming to our church for the last several months, almost a year now. And she normally sits over here, and she volunteers with Prosper You. She's actually a math teacher in her day job, and she teaches all day in her day job. And then she comes here on Wednesday night, and she works in uh, with kids with their homework in our Prosper You, helping them uh, learn better than perhaps they're learning. As a matter of fact, uh, we haven't talked a lot about it, but we have testimonies from parents of kids who came to Prosper You, and their grades have just gone from nearly failing all the way to straight A's. Thankful for that. So Shay, Shay decides to start coming to church and trying. We all start and we all try. Some harder than others. Some, some don't have very far to go. Some people come from far, like the Bible said. Uh, she started coming to church one Sunday. She met me here on the altar, and she said she's been estranged from her mother for over 20 years. And during the message, the Lord convicted her, and she wanted to she wanted to make things right with the mother. And so she called her mother, saw her after, I think, nearly 20 years, restored that relationship. God kept working on her. A few Sundays later, she came up to me. She said, you know, my dad's in prison. He abused me. He's in prison for it. She said, uh, I'm estranged from him she said I've never visited him never seen him she said while you're preaching today I felt the spirit of the Lord convict me and tell me I need to go show God's love to these to my family this is real world testimonies here okay now you can be prissy if you want to but this is real world testimonies right here this is hard stuff so she did she came back told me about it a few weeks ago her son her only son died on the lake in an accident And um, she lost her son. And she stood out there this morning. And she said, I don't know how I'm making it, but I'm doing really good with God on my side. So, 
she said, I've been in therapy for years. She said, my therapist can't believe how good I'm doing. And she said, my therapist told me this week, I don't know how you're making it, but whatever you're doing, don't stop doing it. Because you're stronger than I've ever seen you. This morning, she said, uh, my therapist said, if this would have happened to you last year, you would be institutionalized right now. But God has made you so strong. Her therapist said, don't give up your faith. Sometimes therapists can be good preachers, can't they? (laughs) This is what I want you to see. We're all trying to make it work, okay? There's so many other testimonies here right now. I'm just looking across the audience. I'm seeing testimonies sitting here. We're all trying to make it work, and sometimes it's just crazy hard. And the storm comes, and the waves come, and the flood comes. And you look around. And sometimes the people who uh, should be there for you, maybe they don't know. Maybe you're not being open. Maybe they say the wrong thing, but you're overwhelmed and you're not strong enough. And let's be honest, if I was in your situation, I don't know if I would be any stronger. We are all of us building. The difference is this structure is only, if it's not fitly joined together, it's not very strong. That's number one. Number two, if it's not attached to something, that's not going anywhere. When I'm attached to God, it's like I've got a grip of something that's not letting me go. I'm not going anywhere. Sometimes I hold on to God, but God always holds on to me. Let's all stand. So I'm going to pray over you, and then we're going to go into a prayer service. I feel like the Lord is really wanting to minister to some people here today. If you're new here and you've never been a part of a prayer service, that's fine. You can stay where you are. In fact, if you are if you need to be dismissed, you can be. But we want to make our hearts vulnerable in the presence of God. And so uh, some of our, our ministry team is going to come down here to the front. In fact, they can go ahead and come down. And those of you who are going through things, uh, this is the time for you to get out of your comfort zone and allow someone to speak a word of faith over you, anoint you with oil, and believe that your life can be forever changed from this moment here today. So that's what's about to happen. Before that happens, I want to pray over all of you that we would be strong through the Word of God. Lord Jesus, you see every individual here today. You know where each of us are in our various paths and our various walks. God, I pray that this this appeal that I've tried so desperately to give would ring true in their hearts. And I pray, Lord, they would be convicted in the right way, not simply convicted condemned, but convicted in the right way, that they would live a more God-centered life and that they would weigh things through the perspective of your word and your will. I pray you would walk with them. I pray you would give them the strength to become who they could become through faith and anointing. I pray today that your blessing and a power would be in their life and that you would bring them through every trouble. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. I'm going to open this front up right now. You have a need in your life. You have sickness in your body. This word has been for you today. I want you to step out of the, to the seat you're standing in right now. I want you to come down to the front. I want, to let, I want you to let some of these ministers begin to pray over you and anoint you with oil and speak faith over you and speak life in your hearts. We're going to believe that this, this time right now is not just a... Uh, kind of the end, but rather it's a, it's a, it's a spiritual calling forth and those, he that hath an ear, let him hear every need in the house. This is your time. Feel free to, to step out and come down here to the front. We want to play, pray with you and believe. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I want you to know the spirits here right now. If you have a need, 
can happen if you'll get past your comfort zone here today. Something can happen if you'll just take that next step into a realm beyond where you're comfortable. That's how breakthroughs happen. Spiritual breakthroughs happen in your mind. You see, it's not the will of God for you to just make it. Did you hear what I said? It's not the will of God for you just to make it. You're not just going to be an overcomer. Not just going to be a conqueror. The Lord wants you to be more than that. You see, if you're not, if you don't have enough for somebody else, you don't have enough. And so you must, you must believe, and you must choose, and you must claim. This is where we get into that element of the kingdom of heaven suffering a, a type of spiritual violence, and it's, it's a way of speaking of a contest in the heavenlies. We all of us are in that, whether we acknowledge it or see it or not. We are all of us in that. And so I want to speak to over you today. I want to claim for every one of you. I want you to be those people. You're not just barely making it, honey. You've got God at the center of your existence. I want that for you. I want that for this church. But it's not just up to me. You have the authority to claim it. You have the authority to address it. You have the authority to say, I speak it in Jesus' name. You do. You do. Claim it with me right now. Lord Jesus, we're placing you at the center of our lives. We're placing you upon the throne of our lives. We're acknowledging that if it were not for God on our side, we would be weak. In our flesh, we are extremely weak. When we're attached to you, oh God, then we become more than what we were. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. How many of you have how many of you have some big decisions to make in the next few weeks? Raise your hand. You have some big decisions to make. Okay, that's real. That's life. I'm not going to fix that, but what I can do is challenge you today to put God at the center of that decision. I'm always astonished, astonished and a little bit offended. I've seen people take their family out of a church situation where they were being blessed and they'll get a dollar raise and they'll move their family across the country for some you know, $5,000 a year. And, I, and they go someplace, they don't have a church connection. <laughs> I'm always a little bit offended. I mean, I'm, I'm not ugly about it, but I'm always like, really? You know, here you are in a situation where, and, and you're, uh, for money, you made that decision for money. Now, if you put God in the center of that decision, and he said, go, honey, don't let the door hit you in the backside. But you need whatever you're facing with. And some of you guys, I, I, you, you're facing some big decisions. I know because I talk to you during the week and I pray for you. I have a good plan. Let's put God in the center of that big decision. And let's be God-centered people. Yes? Let's live it. God-centered people. In Jesus' name, I claim it for all of you today. Put your hands together and clap them in praise one more time to the Lord. Amen. 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 Real quick, ice cream Sunday. Right out those doors is ice cream truck. Go eat all the ice cream you can eat that your spouse will let you get away with. First, first steps. This is my small group that I teach every Sunday here at the church on lesson three today. If you haven't had lesson three, 
You can start at any stage. So you can come over today and we'll have some food for you and it'll be a good time. We'll get a chance to sit together and talk. I love all of you. I thank God for all of you. Let's be God-centered. Let's be God-centered. You're dismissed in Jesus. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, Come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. And Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.